Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I'm joined by Georgie Lazari. Georgie is a peer support development worker in the NHS and a group facilitator at First Steps ED. Georgie has lived experience of an eating disorder and uses this experience as a mental health campaigner. Georgie joins us today to discuss peer support in eating disorders, including both the benefits and the potential challenges. Hello, Georgie. Hello. How are you? I am well today, thank you. How are you? Good. Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. Um, feeling a bit tired, like I said before. Reading was a big weekend, um, but yeah, mm. I'm. I I had a day on the sofa yesterday, um, and today I feel like I'm, I'm surfacing a bit better. So, yes, and good. Very excited to chat to you. <laughs> same likewise. Yes. Thank you so much for inviting me on. No, thank you for having me. It's funny actually because. Um, the episode that will be out like the week before you um I did with Logan from First Steps so it's like we're having like a little First Steps um series so (laughs) I have to collate all the episodes I've done (laughs) with First Steps there's like a little series um but yeah so that's really nice um so I wondered if we wanted to start um by I know that you, in the introduction, I said that you have lived experience. So I wondered if you want to start by kind of sharing what that lived experience was and then how that shaped the work that you do today. Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of believe that I've always had some kind of difficulty with food right from a very early age. Um, and it manifested itself quite differently as I as I grew up. Um, I think what would have initially been kind of a, a hard one to place then fell more into like an an anorexia diagnosis which saw me um, spend uh, four or five years under a community uh, NHS eating disorder service which uh, which up and down Um, I think if I'd have got with the program as soon as I was referred it wouldn't have been such a long um, time spent with them Uh, but I don't think I was quite there however when I did knuckle down and did listen and act on advice it was fantastic um, and they've helped me immeasurably and I think what emerged from that was how these people helped me to feel so much better and like myself again and I decided I wanted to go down a career path that gave me that same feeling not necessarily doing the same work um, but something whereby I can empathise with people from first-hand experience and do something which will make them feel better or just um just like they are they're seen they're understood Mm. they've been heard that day um and somebody out there knows what it's like yeah because it can be a very lonely and isolating place because these difficulties are so complex um and you might feel sometimes like oh my goodness I'm the only person on the planet that feels all of these things Mm. and although no two people feel the same exactly um there's, a, there's so many crossover similarities and it's really important that people know from the likes of peer work that I do now that um, they aren't alone. Mm-hmm. So in a nutshell, that's, that's what happened and that's what's brought me to where I am. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's so important, the sort of lived experience aspect of it, because, you know, I've always said you can read as many textbooks or, you know, whatever, but actually being able to understand what it's like to go through an eating disorder and sort of, I guess, what it what it almost gives you and then why that makes recovery so hard I think is invaluable but I think equally you know things like listening to people talk about it and stuff if you haven't had the personal experience can be you know really important as well um but I think you're doing such amazing things and I think it you know it can be a really brave thing to go and to go from having your own experience to then helping other people Mm -hmm. um so you know thank you for doing that kind <laughs> just kind of um I do I do consider myself very lucky to be doing what I'm doing but sometimes you know when you get up it's just the day job you kind of forget mm-hmm. that you, you know your reasons for doing so and that to the outside world you know when I'm at you know, family parties or meet people and I get asked what I do it's not immediately clear you know when you say your job title a lot mm. of people go oh what's that and when you explain the reaction is always, oh, wow. Oh, I bet that's so rewarding. Oh, that sounds great. Oh, I'd love to do a job that makes a difference like that. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit like, yeah. <laughs> Can I ask you, when did you, when did you sort of think, I'm ready to do this now? Because obviously, you know, you, I'm sure you focused on your own recovery for a while. So when did you kind of think, yeah, I'm ready for this now? And the lockdown time, so 2020, um, is actually when I um, I stopped doing the work I had been doing, which was actually in, in marketing. So <laughs> my degree in marketing, um, spent about 10 years working in marketing jobs. Um, and I don't know what it was exactly. I think more time to myself. Mm. Um, I think seeing the fabulous work that, that people were doing, the, the eating disorder service I was under really stepped up to help us all. Um, and I, I upped my volunteering that I did with First Steps at, at that time. And it actually led me to um, do a couple of um, funded projects for them. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I, I love this. <laughs> kind of more than the day job, to be honest. And it just all started to, to come together. Um, I was feeling better. I was doing more of the line of work I thought I enjoyed, mm. um, what I did enjoy. And everything just seemed to point me in this direction so very early 2021 saw um, an advert uh, within my local NHS trust which is Derbyshire um, to be a peer support worker and I didn't think I would get anywhere because I just didn't have the background I have a healthcare background mm. at all um, but I realised through the interview that this is the, the one job where my life experience will count far more than my work qualifications education background mm. so was successful and it all it all kind of went from there really um fuck that job it's just <laughs> something else when you when you get into that line of work it's mm. vocational as opposed to you know like the daily grind oh I've got to do this mm. got to do that it's like I'm looking forward to doing this and that yeah it's just changed my outlook on work to be honest yeah that's brilliant and I do often think I mean, this is kind of a an aside, but often um, when people go for jobs, they think, oh, I've not got the experience or whatever. Um, but actually, so many skills are transferable, which I'm sure kind of came across for you with the things that were transferable. But like you say, that lived experience is, is kind of something that, um, yeah, 
is, you know, not many people are going to have that, but it's so important. So in terms of your role, what, what does it mean to be a peer support worker? So peer support at its core is using first-hand lived experience to support another in a, a similar situation. So um, the job I did was independent of eating disorders, actually. It was just in community mental health, and it was supporting people to get back into the workplace, into, into paid work. Mm -hmm. So that was um, helping them with their confidence, helping them with um, any gaps in their employment history which were bothering them, um, that realising their skills, setting goals, um, those kinds of um, attributes that you need before you can start to look for work. So they would come to us as peers and then when, when their confidence was a little better, they would move on to the job search support people employment mm -hmm. specialists they were called so that's what I started doing and for six months I would do that so just meeting with with individuals that were still under NHS services that really wanted to get back into work as part of their recovery and just listening and understanding because I was in a similar situation myself whereby my difficulties were quite um impacting me daily mm -hmm. so I I stopped the job I was doing at that time and didn't didn't work for a while so I know what it was like to to feel low on yourself low, low on your confidence down on your abilities and in going through your head you think can I even have a job anymore can I even do that can I cope with that and all mm -hmm. the and all the uh, mental cognitions that whirl at the thought of going back to work so I empathized and that's that's what I spoke about in the interview. And I think that's probably what swayed it for me was mm. just that empathy, which is what peer work is is all about. Yeah. It's working with it's working in services much like a clinician would. But it's not your education and your qualifications that got you there. It's your way with people. It's your character and personality and the experiences that you've gone through in your mm. life. Yeah. So. We all, as I try and say we all get to this to the same place it's just a different way in mm -hmm. yeah definitely and I want to ask you um you know when you had to take you know the time off work um mm -hmm. how how did you get back to go into work because I think you know I've had experience I was off for two months and I found it very challenging to get mm -hmm. back into work yes. what was your sort of process and how did you how did you know that it was the right time to go back um well practically a phased return was helpful for me mm. because it was half days instead of the thought of going back full time full days um i did i did notice improvements and the time away had been really helpful um just getting back into a, a steady eating routine um being around loved ones i don't think i realized actually how separated you become when you work full time mm -hmm. around your family and friends you just go into the office for so much of your life and the job I do now is predominantly from home mm -hmm. um, and I think that's helped I think working from home helps me to keep the, the demons at bay if mm. you like um, but yeah going back was nerve-wracking I remember standing outside that office door psyching myself up to, to walk in everybody was kind which was was helpful um, and within that, that first half a day, it was almost like I'd, I'd not been away. 
but I didn't stay at that job for much longer okay. because I think so many bad habits were formed in that environment mm. and just being back back there so for example if I if I do talk about my difficulties a little um going to work for me meant not not eating for the duration that I was there and having the time away I'd I'd brought that that middle meal back into my routine so lunch and then knowing I should continue to eat it but being back in the environment where I'm I normally don't Mm. it kind of started to throw throw me off again so um yeah it was time to move on um and I did but that, that going back was, yeah, positive and negatives. Mm-hmm. Glad I did. Um, and it takes a lot of courage, actually, because you just think everybody's going to be looking, wanting to know things, wanting to ask questions, not sure what to say. Mm-hmm. When, when, I mean, I kept the, the reasons why, mostly on the down low. But, you know, it, was, it wasn't a physical problem. It was quite obviously a mental mm-hmm. one. And then... I do think people struggle, not 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 to their detriment. I think they want to be helpful. It's just you're not not sure. I think the best thing you can do is just sort of be mm. there. And if the individual wants you, then that's lovely to know. And if they just want to find their own way, then leave them be. But as long as they know, that's that's a top tip for anybody that's in a workplace with somebody who's off at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great advice. I know personally when I went back. Um, I didn't really want everybody to be kind of asking, you know, how how are you doing? How's it going? And I also, you know, didn't kind of say to everybody, this is why I'm going off sick or whatever. But but people kind of knew that I was close to. And, you know, like you said, I think sometimes people can kind of work it out or whatever. Um, but I definitely think the kind of, you know, just saying I'm here if you need a chat, you know, I'm, if you need five minutes to just chat um but equally if you don't then kind of going back to it but not being like how are you feeling you know is everything okay now you're back because I think you know you're expecting people to ask you how you are and that that builds anxiety in itself because sometimes you do go back and you're not you know 100% back to how you used to be um but people expect you to sort of have had that time off and be back and buzzing again yeah, back and bouncing. Yeah. I think another challenge I didn't mention earlier is that um I looked slightly different mm. um, when I when I went back. Um <laughs> I'm back to the whole which word do you use? Healthier, I guess. Um but obviously I know that that, that conjures different mm-hmm. um ideals in people's heads. And I think I was conscious people are going to probably say, Oh, you're looking well, you you are looking better. And then it was down to me to control how I interpreted that because I'd done plenty of work on it and, and I knew that it was coming from a good in place, a well-intentioned mm. place. But the, the the way it's processed at that time isn't always in the way it's meant. Yeah. And so I just, nobody actually said anything in the end, but mm. it was just on my mind that, oh, they'll notice and it'll be the first thing they say. And and they'll be trying to be nice. Just remember, they're trying to be nice. Yeah. I had to really sat myself up for it, but fortunately, nobody said anything. Yeah, which possibly means it seemed like a much bigger deal in mm-hmm. my head than than to others, which mm-hmm. is often the way. Yeah, definitely. I think um, the comments from other people can always be really scary, but I think that's something in recovery that, in general, not just in the workplace, is so important to work on. Kind of 
people do have their own lives and their own thoughts about things and they might say you know, make a comment on your food or how you look or whatever um but I do think because you know when I was at my early stages of recovery I used to think everybody else needs to tiptoe around me I lit- didn't literally think that but that was the way that I was coming across and they need to say the right thing mm. to me but actually I think now it's it's the person who's recovering it's their responsibility to learn to to navigate that and to manage it because comments are going to come mm-hmm. up and you know yes they will make you mm. feel uncomfortable but I think you know as an individual you do have to take that responsibility on yourself Yes, with the support of yeah. whoever's around. Absolutely, and yeah. And a whole appointment on it, and the 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 um the psychologist I, I was going to say saw still still see probably not for that much longer, but um did a whole thing around why you wouldn't want to be considered to be looking healthier. What what is it that I don't? Why would I not want that? Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say it was like a light bulb moment, but from then on, I did think a bit more about what's going through my mind when I hear comments like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realised my worst case scenario that healthy has an awful connotation was not accurate. Mm-hmm. So now I'm a lot, I'm a lot better with with that. Who doesn't want to hear that they look nice? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And you realise actually, when you look poorly, you're not getting comments about the way you look at all because people are probably just staying away and and probably when it comes down to it you do look you glow mm-hmm. when when you look a bit healthier a bit more more well yeah well <laughs> um, you, you you lose that if, if you look poorly so mm-hmm. all things considered it's better it just takes you a long while to realize <laughs> Yeah, I have a really distinct memory of um, I hadn't seen a friend for a while and I saw her again um, and she didn't comment on kind of, you know, the look, you look well or whatever. Um, she just said, it's so nice to have you back with us and your eyes are sparkling. And I just remember thinking that's such a compliment because she hasn't said anything about the way that I look she's just saying how it's nice to have me present again and mm-hmm. actually like mm. to to be with her um which was a really special moment um but I want to go back to the peer support work so you kind of spoke about like more generally in mental health so how does that work specifically for people with eating disorders so first steps does this brilliantly and they mm-hmm. utilize peer support in in the, the best way possible really because um my first memories of going to twice I first entered their their realm for a support group that was run by um two individuals two lovely ladies who were in recovery um but spoke so confidently about where they were now it was inspiring and it was motivating and I think the first thing that helps, therefore, is you immediately know that to get to a life where you're not plagued by this difficulty is possible. So that's a big tick. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of sort of peer support methods, they can be used differently by by lots of people. So we've just I've just been on an interview panel for for our trust to recruit a couple of peer support workers into their eating disorder service directly. And they will be doing home visits 
um, to to check up on on the individual to see how they've been feeling. They will be working more on them as a person. It's incredibly person centered approach. Mm. So they will be looking at the things that they enjoy and how can we help this individual spend time doing the things they enjoy to get back to the to the person they are without this diagnosis hanging over mm. their heads. So if they enjoy crafts is and it's always the first thing that comes to my mind but um um I've it just so happens that first steps did it so well so it's always present on my mind then integrating them back into some kind of way to to bring that out of themselves um but also peer support in eating disorders can be um supported meals mm-hmm. and, and again I know first steps does that particularly well so whereby an individual is struggling to to um fit a meal into the into their day um they they will be supported with that and that will involve the, the peer meeting with them at breakfast lunch dinner time mm. um, and sitting with them and just re reframing that whole experience it's quite remarkable how it's done and I did benefit from that a few years ago so somebody just met me and we had lunch together and my first thoughts were oh my this is going to be so awkward it's just going to be looking at each other's food and trying to talk whilst eating which I've always struggled with and and it wasn't that at all it just was like having lunch and a catch-up with somebody that became like a friend Mm -hmm. because you know you got to know these people um and they'd had this struggle too and again that's motivational because I'm sitting and having lunch with somebody that was in my my shoes and now look they're having things I couldn't yet have Mm -hmm. And they're not seemingly anxious about it. That's not making them distressed in any way. So maybe that can be me. So it's to act as um, an equal um, because peer support breaks down any hierarchies, Mm -hmm. which is another thing I really like about it. But um, an equal that has um, a different experience from ourselves and one that we can learn from. Um, but in, in terms of how it, it works, it probably will come down to how each individual organisation wants to make it work. So, for example, like I said, First Steps uses peers to run groups. They do peer support one to ones. They'd have uh, they used to have drama therapy, art therapy, crafts, yoga. They had a, a fantastic yoga um, course that was taught by a, a a former sufferer who considers herself to be in, in a good place now. So it's using it's using the skills of the peer as well mm-hmm. to benefit the other individuals. Um, so it, it can be used in any way, um, the, a way which benefits both parties, really. That's, that, that's the beauty of the flexibility of it. Mm. I think the thing from what you've just said, the thing I really like is it sounds like it's very specific to that person's life and working out how can we support you to navigate your life so that the eating disorder is you know not a big part of it anymore because I think I went for treatment 10 years ago so it was completely different then but when I went for treatment it was very much you've got this diagnosis you fit in this category this is your meal plan and we're going to do we're going to talk to you you know once a week sort of thing and I didn't find it worked because they weren't looking at my life and how the eating sort of fit into my life and how I fit everything else in. Whereas the peer support, you know, 
the community stuff, going to people's houses, having meals with them, stuff like that, finding alternatives that they can do rather than eating disorder. I think that's, you know, personally for me, that's what I needed. I needed somebody to come and say, right, we're going to, rather than just saying to you, get rid of the eating disorder, we're going to come in and we're going to carefully take it out, but we're going to refill it with things. Because I think that's the reason for me personally, why I've gone back to it so many times, because it's just been a hole rather than it being filled with things. So it sounds like such a good approach, in my opinion. Agree totally. Um, I'm, I actually think the best approach is probably partially clinical and partially peer led. Yeah. Because to have to have 100% of one may not be quite the right balance. So I would never say one and not the other, but I agree that sometimes clinical models are rigid and they don't always take into account the, the character of the person um, and it can be quite routine steps. And what I, what I found difficult personally, although I understand now why it had to happen, was that this whole thing was, was um, plaguing me and so many others because of affairs around weight and yet I would go into that appointment and it would be straight to the scales and I would say I thought the whole point was to you know I'm not a number I'm not a, a figure on a scale I'm more than what my weight is but yet we're bringing it back to numbers again um, and obviously peer support couldn't be further away away from that mm. but like I say I think the balance is is great I would like to add I now understand why that yeah. <laughs> is taken um, because I do I do appreciate the um the physical improvement that has to happen before the mental one yeah. can can begin but at, but at the time when you're not your thoughts aren't quite as together as they should be you just rebel against mm. it or you just put off by it mm. um so peer peer work is never going to be rigid um and it's going to always be led by that individual mm. the conversation will will start with with the individual um, and peer work helps helps them to seek their own answers as opposed to tells them, oh, this is what I did, so this is what you should do. We don't mm. give advice. Try to draw the answers from the, the person themselves, yeah. uh, which I actually I didn't realise until, so a part of being in the role that I, that I was doing just before this one, sorry, was um, I had to go on a, in a quite in-depth training course about peer work and I learned so much from that program it was real penny drop stuff um because you know nobody wants to just sit and listen to this is what I did and this is how I felt and this is what you need to do it's it's enabling the person rather than putting your thoughts and feelings onto mm. them based on how you felt but the empathy is a key part of it yeah. Um, and a lot of people that experience peer support will say it was just so lovely to be around people who understood mm. and to hear ways in which they dealt with the same difficulty. You learn so much from peer work mm. um, and it's really gaining traction at the moment. It's growing. There's a big push to improve and increase peer work and peer supervision in, in NHS services um, mm. up to 2024. So anybody yeah. interested in that line of work, and it is quite popular amongst those who are 
coming to the end of their time with a service Mm -hmm. and feel like they would like to give something back or feel like they now have the skills to enable Mm -hmm. them to do so. And I see quite a lot of people saying, "Um, I've been through this and now I really want to help others in Mm -hmm. a similar position. And that's great because it's the time to be doing it. And I would advocate it as one of the most, one of the most rewarding lines of work that I can think of. Mm. Yeah. But I'd be bound to say that. (laughs) I um, I just wanted to go back to what you said about sort of you in the peer support guiding people to find the answers rather than telling them. And I think that's such a important aspect of recovery in that, you know, when someone tells you to do something, you know, potentially at the early stages of recovery, do you just want to rebel? But I think, like you said, having that inspiration of hearing somebody else say it who has been in your position and then it kind of coming from within rather than somebody externally telling you what to do, I think can be really powerful because it's sort of you making that decision rather than somebody saying you've got to do this and that's the only way to do it. I mean, both approaches, clinical and peer, are working towards the same goal for that individual, Mm -hmm. dependent on what that individual wants for themselves. And both lines of treatment are recovery focused to the nth degree. So everybody's working towards the same thing. I just think it's different approaches. Mm. Um, And I think sometimes your brain can go to a place of, say, you're working with you know, a very knowledgeable, intelligent, highly qualified clinical person. But there's a the devil on your shoulder just wants to say, and how many eating disorders have you had? And how do you really know what it feels like? Whereas your peer um, may not have been the exact same diagnosis that you've been given, but will know how it feels to have food on the brain constantly mm. and to live by rules and to believe certain things about the world based on your thoughts and feelings about food and it's just it's quite a unique thing I think it's the uniqueness of it that makes it such a strong thing to experience because you're finally amongst folk who absolutely know what it's like and that that additional bonus is that if they're in a peer role it's to be hoped therefore that they are stable in their recovery and they're managing it quite well And then they become quite a motivational figure Mm. because, you know, I remember thinking that the people at first steps, you know, they had jobs, they were doing masters, they were going on um, abroad holidays, they were socialising around food again. And you just think, oh, my goodness, these things are within my reach Mm. because that person used to feel like me and now they're doing that. So maybe I can do that, too. Mm. And it's that role model um, that you you sometimes need that a doctor can't replicate mm. in the same way yeah yeah I completely agree I think it's it's you know it's really inspiring to see people in a position that you maybe don't think is possible for you but I think like you said before having sort of a blend of both approaches so the clinical aspect and the peer support mm-hmm. is really good because I don't think that kind of one you know, there should never just be one modality. Um, but obviously, the clinical side is very important. But equally, the peer support kind of allows you to see that potential and gain support from others. Um, so in terms of the peer support, do you think, you know, is it appropriate for everyone? Or do you think you have to be at like a specific point in recovery? Or where do you think that slots in? That's 
really interesting topic because I think it can vary. Um, I think how First Steps does very well is that obviously NHS services may sometimes carry, well, quite often, unfortunately, will carry a criteria for, for entry, if you like. So it will normally be a, a BMI um, or a set of symptoms that means you can access their support. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that they, they hate it as much as we do, but it's the way that they're governed and funded. But First Steps will offer peer support at any time. And I think that's incredibly helpful. Um, I think some individuals perhaps need some help clinically before the peer model works. Um, I think peer work can help for individuals that are on a waiting list for support. And you can be offered somebody who can help you to wait well. Um, another thing that First Steps does particularly well, um, because those waiting lists can be long mm -hmm. and it can feel quite um, uh, demotivating when you're awaiting because then things start to go through your mind about how sick am I um I'm having to wait because I'm nobody's priority really um and I think it can be really helpful then I think that sometimes a clinician can help you to set goals and a peer can help you to reach them so the two working alongside each other is great but I also think that peer work can really help a person who's nearing the end of their time in a service mm. because it can feel desperately lonely when you've had the support of somebody on a regular basis for a while and then all of a sudden you've been let go and I don't feel like there's anybody there anymore mm. so having a peer support worker to help with that step down process can be really helpful so I actually think peer work can come into any individual's journey at any point of it um, based on based on what other support they're able to access and how they, they kind of feel yeah. about themselves and their symptoms. Um, I wouldn't say it's ever inappropriate. Potentially, you know, if, if they're in incredibly unwell and they need medical intervention, mm -hmm. perhaps before they would... Uh, respond well to peer work but anybody else I, th I think can can access it and get a lot from it. Mm -hmm. Do you think there are any sort of challenges towards peer support work? There can be I think the the challenges can come when you you might have a peer who is only very recently um, emerging from the other side of their difficulty mm. and can still be easily triggered or taken back to a place which is unhealthy for them. Mm. Um, and when I was, like I said, recently on an interview panel for ED peer support workers, knowing that this individual has to go and meet with service users and do supported meals with them, in my mind, I'm thinking, could this person who's only very recently out of a service themselves do that mm. and not be taken back? We have a duty of care to the peers themselves, obviously, as well as the service users. And that's why supervision has to be really mm. on it for a peer worker. But yes, I think that the challenges can stem from having a peer support worker who is 
is not quite there in in themselves mm. just yet mm. um so we would we would try to guard against um recruiting a peer support worker that is still currently under that same service mm. if they were under a different one perhaps then and they they had a broad understanding of of mental health problems but maybe not eating in the same way or like me had had experience of eating difficulties but was not going to be working with clients at that time mm. from the disorder service that was quite a good way to keep the two separate mm. so i think um I mean, there's a ton of support available to you. Well, I can only really talk for Derbyshire NHS, but I've got <laughs> colleagues, obviously, that I meet with from other NHS trusts. And, you know, the, 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 um, the support for peers is, is, is very hot. And, you know, you have to, you know, abide to your wellness plan and have regular supervision, reasonable adjustments if you need them. So we do really take care of the peers. But I think... The main challenge does stem from having somebody that's perhaps not quite prepared for some of the triggers they might mm. encounter along the way. Um, I think you can think you'll be all right, but it's not until sometimes you start the job that you uh, come face to face with the challenges because, as we know, eating, dis eating disorders are occasionally competitive. Um, probably more than occasionally actually <laughs> and it can be um it, you, you can fall down that that trap again if you spend a lot of time around somebody who still maintains your old ways of thinking mm. and you might just slip back into thinking that's the correct way to to be so it's not to say um that the selection process around peers should become unpleasant but it's just to perhaps guard against those who um, are displaying signs of not quite being stable yet mm. within themselves. It's not to kill any dreams. It's not to demotivate people. It's potentially to just make sure that that individual is as stable as they can be within themselves mm. and has a, a good um, support network around them mm. before they enter that kind of role. So... I just kind of want to ask, because this is something that I've experienced myself in terms of feeling like I was ready way before I was ready to help other people. Um, and I, I'm like, really, I kind of just want to explore what you think about it, because I'm really stuck because I've had numerous conversations with my friends where I've said, you know, I wasn't ready, but because I was sort of recovering, I wanted a way to keep my eating disorder alive. And so I kind of, there was completely unconscious of this happening, but looking back now, I think this is what was happening was I, my eating disorder was thinking of other ways to stay alive rather than necessarily being dominant and, you know, the restriction and things like that. It took over my career um, because then I was still very focused on eating disorders rather than engaging in the eating disorder let's say my sort of very roundabout question is how do you think we can make sure that people are a hundred or maybe not a hundred percent but ready to do that sort of role because I think like you said there is a duty of care for people that have had an eating disorder and now want to work in eating mm. disorders and I think it's completely invaluable I think it's amazing but for me the experience of working in eating disorders has meant I've now had a relapse and I've now had to sort of shift my career and change it completely um, because I 
went down that path and it it didn't work out for me I'm so sorry that happened to you <laughs> that must have been really difficult to go through um yeah for it's a it's not a, a black and white question probably no. or a, a black and white topic to to, to look through because who's to say that the person who was discharged from a service five years ago and has maintained themselves really well won't be tripped up again yeah. when they are thrust back into um you know working with poorly people mm. um i think all we can do is is work to guard against it with regular supervision yeah. And with the the wellness action plan that I completed was really explicit. You know what what is what what is a good day for you? What what does a bad day look like? What could cause you to become unwell? How can mm. you look after yourself um, if that happens? What can we as an organisation do to support you if that happens? Sometimes it's a gamble, and you select um, a candidate, and it may not work out in which case you support them potentially into another role within the team, maybe a less um, patient-facing one, or they mutually agree that this hasn't worked, in which case maybe somebody else can come along. Mm. Um, perhaps if they've done work for um, you know, uh, another mental health organisation or even an eating disorder organisation before. So um, I know for for a fact that my experiences with first steps as a volunteer before I, I started doing other other roles for them helped to get me into peer work because I'd worked as a peer in that forum with other people with a difficulty and it had really benefited me and I think that was an indicator to them therefore that I was stable enough to mm -hmm. do so um, so it's just piecing piecing the person together almost from what you know about them and what you say. But it, it can be really tricky and it can be too difficult for, for the, for the mm -hmm. peer. Um, and especially if they don't have the right support in place. I guess all we can do is hope um, that the support is sufficient enough to guard against the person um, becoming unwell themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and if I'm really honest, um, it that kind of presents another challenge because sometimes the view of peer support is that peer support workers are still unwell, uh, unreliable, have more sick leave than other members of the team, need more hand-holding. Um, and it's not fair um, because it's not accurate, but it is true to say that they are, you know, being entrusted with um, lots of sensitive information that could be difficult for them they can become vulnerable in that situation and they just need supporting in a different way mm. so it, de it depends which way you look at it really if you, if you maintain a positive outlook and think of all the positives of peer work then it's fantastic but it's not to say that it's for everybody mm. and that people will embark upon it and find it um, potentially more more difficult than it is I haven't yet come across that in in the work I'm doing with Derbyshire NHS mm. um, and I've been there 18 months now I haven't known um, any of the peers to to have to leave as a result of the demands of the work obviously mm. people will come and go from roles but it hasn't been as a result of finding it too difficult um, but I'm so I'm sad and sorry to hear that for you it took you back to a place that was unhealthy and it meant that you couldn't 
pursue mm-hmm. that that line and perhaps in time it could be something you could consider so going back to what you were saying about the support I think you're completely right I think the two things I've realized from sort of my experience is you know I had countless conversations with my parents with my partners with my friends before I embarked on this journey of are you ready and I genuinely thought I was I thought I was in and I think I was in a really good place but maybe there were things deep down that hadn't been worked on that kind of were manageable in normal life but in a situation where eating disorders were around all the time it brought up some Mm -hmm. stuff so like you said those sorts of things you your employer blah 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 they're not going to know about I think the two things that I've definitely learned the most are support is the most crucial thing in the world and to have a support system where you can be open and honest and say you know this is actually affecting me or what have you and within that just being really honest with yourself because after doing a master's and then working really hard to get the job that I did I think actually being honest with myself and saying this isn't working it was absolutely heartbreaking because like I'd worked so hard and I wanted to be that recovered person that could do that thing and actually I, I couldn't at the time um but I also think the situation in a whole I'm really grateful for because I think if I hadn't have done the masters and I hadn't have got the job I would have always thought hmm there was always that potential that I could work in that role mm-hmm. and now you know for now I know that it's maybe not right but it's given me so much experience and actually doing full of beans I don't find a difficult thing I find that amazing and I love speaking to people and connecting with people so it's, I think, also about finding out where you can fit it in. I think one thing you said earlier that really struck with me was um, maybe taking on a role that's not patient-facing. You know, you can still be in that environment um, like I am now. I'm still doing full of beans and I'm still kind of, you know, hopefully helping people. But I'm not doing it on a one-to-one level. And I think that was, that was the difficulty I felt. But without the experience, I wouldn't have been able to work that out. So actually you know not one I don't want to say the old cliche of everything happens for a reason but maybe it does but it does yeah <laughs> I, I live by that cliche unfortunately <laughs> thought and I wonder if that pushed me to this kind of line of work mm-hmm. because otherwise I've just got to contend with the fact that for 10 years of my life rubbish things were happening mm-hmm. and if they don't lead me to a good place maybe I can't just leave them as rubbish yeah I have to use that for good otherwise mm-hmm. that's that's wasted life yeah but you said it yourself when you were speaking I thought have you considered that you are in an eating disorder line of work yeah and in a peer in a in a in a way a peer role because people countless people are listening to you Mm. and being motivated by your topics what you say what your guests say hopefully mm. yeah <laughs> and, and therefore you absolutely are doing that you just you found a different way to do it mm. um I think goodness I wouldn't have gone into an eating disorder peer role um at that time I I'm now supporting with um facilitating groups at first steps and I did have a little word with myself first and thought is this going to be possible but it's a it's for a specific diagnosis that was not my own mm-hmm. so I think that's better yeah um, maybe it's about degrees of separation and and still under the ED umbrella 
but not working directly for certain people, not working directly with the kinds of, mm. of um, sets of symptoms that you experienced yourself. Yeah. Um, or just, you know, you can still help people on a, on a, in a big way, but maybe not the exact kind of person that you feel you once were, mm. if, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I think you're doing pretty well. <laughs> thank you and the same to you yeah I think I always I said this to my friend countless times who also now works in sort of this realm um not doing maybe what they expected but you know they're still help um I also think that you know if you have had a mental health condition and eating disorder or whatever and you want to leave that at the door and you want to walk away and you never want to talk about it again also absolutely fine I think there's a lot of pressure now that recovery what recovery looks like is then being the person that inspires others and it it doesn't need to be that way at all like you can obviously still inspire people but that doesn't have to be because you work in mental health you talk about your mental health or anything like that I think if you want to go into it great if you don't want to go into it you know you're gonna do incredible in whatever you do so I don't think there should be that pressure either no absolutely agree with you um i think i think i understand why people do want to go into it mm. um again to sort of bring their situation full circle mm. a, a bad thing happened like i and now i have to try and make it good it wasn't all about just me in, in all this um when people start to say that you've really helped them or that you've made a difference that's quite motivational as well mm-hmm. um, as he's realizing that you really enjoy it yeah. um, because I've always said I would always advocate for people that aren't sure what they want to do it sounds like rule one in the book but what do you enjoy and if you <laughs> do enjoy this kind of thing then definitely go for it but god no if, if somebody thinks this is you know up there with the worst things that's ever happened to them so distressing so upsetting not a time to be revisited mm-hmm. absolutely don't yeah. Don't put yourself through it. They're just make your own way, and your your journey will, will differ from from others. And, and any way in which you do is, as long as you're feeling well, mm-hmm. then don't don't feel pressured to to do one thing or another. I think sometimes there is a bit of a I had this, and now I have to make a difference in it. I mean, mm. some of the best advocates we have, well, no, they are all pretty much ex-sufferers or ex-supporters trying to think now if I can disprove my little theory <laughs> but no, the, be- the best the, the, yeah. the most well heard of the ones that you, you take more note of and the ones that have gained quite a lot of traction online mm. usually are, are ones with with lived experience and I think there's just a, a pull towards it um because sharing is helping and sometimes you feel so fed up and low that if somehow your experience is helping somebody else somewhere it perks you a bit mm. and you think well everything is is pretty bad at the moment but somebody out there read my tweet read mm. my podcast uh, read my book chapter uh, follows me on instagram and associated with something i said and that's quite a quite quite powerful when you you, you start to feel very down on yourself yeah. if you if you start to notice that you're helping somebody then that can be that can raise your confidence, mm. which in turn makes you feel a bit better about yourself, which then in turn perhaps takes you away from, from the difficulty. And I dare say for some peer workers, 
it motivates them to stay well mm. because they want to help others and they might, sadly, they might find a lot of pressure then on themselves mm. to stay well because, oh, I'll lose the job if I'm, if I'm not yeah. well. But, but actually the nicer side of that is I want to be well because I love this job. Mm. And, um, you know, to be, to be working in, in, a, in a mental health service for me was, wow. Mm. You know, that, that's not what I went to uni for at all, but as it's turned out, I thought, oh my goodness, and like I say, you know, you tell people what you do and everybody thinks it's it's wonderful because it has such grand connotations mm-hmm. and because it reflects so, you know, you, oh, you're making a difference, you're helping folks, you know, that's great. And it, that's and that's quite infectious too. Yeah. Um, but no, absolutely, do, do whatever it takes to maintain your wellness. Yeah, would definitely. Be, would be the, the theme. And if, 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 and if it's not this, don't do it. Yeah. I'll have a bash and then decide it's not for you yeah and I think that's where that kind of honesty comes in like you said before um if you kind of realize halfway through it's not for you but you're worried you're going to lose your job having that honesty and being able to reach out for support I think is so important because I think there'll always be ways that you can adapt your role or you know like you said if it's if it's really not right like I've done you can you can step away um and there's literally, you know, I felt really ashamed, but actually, I think actually being able to say to myself, yeah, this isn't right. I'm not, I'm not happy here mm. was probably one of the bravest things I could have done. So, um, yeah, it's, it's always possible. Um, just to finish us off, if people have listened and thought, yeah, I think peer support could be really something for me that would help, where can they sort of go um, to access that sort of treatment? So if they're Midlands based, first steps, <laughs> um, they are, they're, they're so um, peer work and the peer mentality is weaved into so many of the services that they offer. Um, and I dare say, you know, we're aware of other um, organisations up and down the country, obviously BEAT is, is, is far reaching nationwide. And um, for those that are under NHS services, peer work is really growing and you will find that if it's not quite there yet, it's on it's on the way. Like we said, we've got this massive push for 2024 and um, your service will certainly ask about peer work. If you've not been informed about it, it should be able to tell you if and when that will be accessible. Um, but actually what I find interesting is that peers are kind of sort of everywhere um, and it can be, you know, peer support can come from a colleague Mm-hmm. from a friend a family friend from the most unlikely of of sources when when if and when you feel able to speak to somebody normally somebody will know of a person that has been through something similar and might be able to help because actually when it comes down to it, we are a very caring nation and we do support each other and we don't want to see each other suffer mm-hmm. and i would i was surprised by you know that the odd throwaway comment would lead to me identifying somebody else that had had a similar experience mm. and therefore we were now in touch and just messaging like one of the one of the um longest standing now services first steps offers is online befriending and that's um for people to tap into in their own time um but it's, it's via email and you 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 can just share thoughts fears questions with somebody who's who's been there and understands 
Um, so it can take many, many forms, and it's um, it's something that's growing. Like I say, I mean in Derbyshire, there's now like Derbyshire Peer Support and Recovery Service, and that is a, a nationwide charitable startup that offers peer support to people with all kinds of different mental health difficulties. So mm-hmm. sorry to be Midland centric, but I'm, <laughs> I'm 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 mentioning it to be confident that around mm-hmm. the country there are there are similar sure. enterprises because it's it's just growing so much but certainly charities charitable organizations mm-hmm. um and then also the, the push like i say for the nhs to increase peer support visibility um, means that it's becoming more accessible to people yeah thank you georgie and i just wanted to say as well um if if you've listened to our previous episodes, um, we had Tessa Peters, who's the founder of Been There, which also is peer support. So that's for body image concerns with people that have had body image concerns um, and then are now helping others. So if you want to check out Been There, um, it was a few episodes back as well, if you want to have a listen. So thank you so much, Georgie. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for sharing all your wisdom on peer support. I'm really excited to hear that, it's, that the NHS is really pushing. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode. So be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.